Okay, if you would, please turn to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, back of your Bible. <coughs> Chapter 4. I will be reading 1 John chapter 4 verses 17 through 21 By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word. Father, help me take what seems to be plain on the page so that we'll leave here knowing it is plain on the page. Help me be faithful to the intended meaning of your servant, John, thus to the intended meaning that you place there by your Holy Spirit in this infallible, inerrant Word. Oh, help me teach to the glory of Jesus and to the salvation of our souls. Amen. In the last week of Jesus' life, He told three parables to show what will happen on Judgment Day for all of those who will stand before King Jesus and be judged based upon their life. Based upon their own merit as opposed to those who will be there in union with Christ, judged not by their life, but judged by the imputation of Jesus' righteousness to them. He told the parable of the ten maidens, and at the end He says, they will say, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And He will say, I don't know you. In the parable of the three servants, the last one, he says concerning him, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he told the parable of the sheep and the goats, and he separates them at the judgment day, and the sheep, those who are united to Christ, will inherit eternal life. But the goats will go off into eternal punishment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said in Matthew 5.29, If your right eye causes you to sin, 
tear it out and throw it away because it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into Gehenna or hell. In Matthew 10.28, He said, Do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And His apostles took this message of His death, His resurrection from the dead for the salvation of that justice that Jesus proclaimed. And for instance, Paul stands up in Athens, Greece. And in the middle of that sermon, he says, God has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all men by raising Him from the dead. Okay, I can go on and on and on. This is just clear in the New Testament that history is not circular. It is linear and there is an end to the way things are now when it will usher in Jesus' second coming and the judgment throne of God. And so, we go to our text. And I say, if you don't take the judgment day seriously, then there's no way in the world you're going to take this passage this morning seriously. See, John, he assumes that those who are, who are converted to Christ are concerned with the reality of the judgment that is to come. It just he just assumes obviously if you're a believer and the point of this text this morning is that he wants believers his beloved children to live in the absence of fear of judgment. And and thus say it differently he wants them to live in the confidence concerning that judgment day. He says, if you're united to Christ, if Jesus is your Savior, as we have been seeing, you have ears to hear, you listen, He is your confession, then His message is, you don't have to fear Concerning that day. You can have great confidence that day because you are and will be standing in your Savior. So when you look down at the text, the word fear is used in verse 18. The word confidence is used in verse 17. What John is going to lay out here is this. That getting rid of fear in verse 18 is the way that you have confidence concerning Judgment Day in verse 17. So let's look at it. Start with verse 17. And as I read, look down at it. The logic of John here is simple. Just listen. By this is love perfected. Okay, there's this first statement. By this is love perfected perfected with us, okay? then, he says, there's a result coming from that. So that we, Christians, we may have 
confidence for the day of judgment. Why is that, John? Because as He is, so also are we right now in this world. He just said, the result of having love perfected in us, the result is it brings confidence in us concerning the judgment day. And the reason it does that is because it shows that we are like Christ. Okay, that's, I'm going to keep saying that now for the next 45 minutes and let you see it in the text, but that's what, what he says. So let, let's just take one clause at a time. Look at the first clause there in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. Okay. By what? What does the this refer to? Look at it. Okay, the answer is the previous sentence. It looks back. So let me just start at the beginning of verse 16 and feel the flow. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides or remains in love abides in God and God in Him. By this, that's it. By that happening is love perfected with us. In other words, by this, that is, by loving others, which is the abiding in God, who is love, and His love abiding in us, He is abiding in us. That is the way that love is being perfected with us or in us. Now, the big question is what does He mean by perfected here? I mean, does He mean... Okay, I'm loving others a little bit, but it's, it's flawed. It's imperfect. But God expects it to be flawless and perfect, just like God is perfect. And if I don't have that down here, then I have zero confidence concerning the Day of Judgment. Is that what He's Say, don't just say no because of your experience. Here's the danger. Well, I don't think I've ever loved perfectly. Therefore, I'm going to read my experience into the text. So you, you don't want to approach the Bible that way. But I'm going to say if you think by reading the English translation of the ESV, love is being perfected, if you think he's saying, yeah. Imperfect, flawed love is going to be changed to flawless, perfect love, then you have misunderstood what John is saying. And the reason I say that is because the word in the Greek, teleao, this is the word behind it, is translated perfected. It does not usually at all mean perfect as opposed to imperfect. 
perfect, meaning flawless. It just normally doesn't mean that. You know, having read the 10-page article on just this word and its related words like telos, you know, goal, end, and teleao, the verb that's used here in the New Testament, uh, in the New International Dictionary, the New Testament theology and of exegesis, it's really clear in the article that this word, as they trace it through uh, uh, classical Greek and those guys and up into the way the Jews used it in the translation of Greek and then in the New Testament that it almost never means perfect as opposed to sinless or flawless, but it means completed. It means it's coming to its fruition or being fulfilled. Okay. Now, I just really want to convince you of that for your comfort as you read this text to know what he's saying. So what I want to do, I'm going to read about, I don't know, six, seven, eight little passages where the same word, teleao, is used in the New Testament. In Luke 2.43, Luke writes, And when the feast was teleao, perfected. But, but they didn't translate that way because they know, well, he doesn't mean, that's kind of weird to say it that way. Because that's not what Luke means. Like the feast was imperfect at the beginning and then it became perfect. No. So they translate, and when the feast was ended. In other words, it started, whether it was a five-day feast or seven, however long, it has a beginning and it has an end and it came to its end. Teleao. Or Luke 13.32. Luke writes, words of Jesus, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day... I am perfected. Or I, I perfect my course. Teleo. But they translate it appropriately. And on the third day, I finish my course. It comes to its completion. Or, and here's our writer, John. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to teleao, to perfect His work. It doesn't mean my Father gave me an imperfect, flawed work and then I cleaned it up and made it perfect. It doesn't mean that. He means the way they translate it in the ESV and to accomplish His work. Okay, see that? In John 5.36, Jesus says, For the works that the Father has given me to teleao, to perfect. No, no, no. To accomplish. To bring them. To fulfill them. Jesus prays in John 17, For I glorified you on earth, having perfected the work that you gave me to do. I mean, that's if we translate the same way. But they translate, accomplished. You gave me the work, and now I'm at the end, and I have fulfilled it. It has been Fulfilled. Paul, in the book of Acts, says in front of all the elders there outside of Ephesus, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may teleao my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord. He says, the Lord has given me work and a pathway to follow. And he says, only that I may perfect it. But, but 
finish, is the way they translate it, finish my course. That's what he means. Don't stop, Paul. Keep going to the end. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul relates to us that Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And that is how the ESV translates it. Same word, teleao. What do you mean by made perfect? Jesus' power was less than perfect before it got into Paul. No, 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 he doesn't mean that. He says, my power, of course, which, which is my power, it's, it's perfect that Paul, the reason I'm ordaining weakness and trouble in your life is because as my power comes, you're going to experience it and it's going to come to its fulfillment in its work that I want to do in you. That's what he means by that. Just one more. James chapter 2, verse 22, and this is very close to home with, with our text. James writes, you see that, and he's talking about Abraham, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was perfected by his works. Faith, I believe God. And James says, well, if he really does it will flow through the pipe of his life. Not, he doesn't mean perfectly without sin. Just read Abraham's life. But he means truly flow will happen. And Abraham will act. And that acting is the perfection of the faith which culminates in works. But, see, but they don't... Let's listen to how they translate it. And faith was completed. By His works. Okay. And then we come to this short epistle, 1 John, and John uses the word here in this letter, teleal, four times. We saw the first back in chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, but whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Doesn't mean it's flawless. It means truly, as you're keeping His word, what's happening? God's love in you, flowing through you, is reaching its fulfillment as you're loving others. Is the context? Or a few verses up from our passage this morning in verse 12 of chapter four, he said, "God abides in us, and His love." is perfected in us. Perfect tense. It has been and is continually flowing or being perfected or completed. Fulfilled. You see it? Because you can see it coming out in your loving one another. Okay. Now the other two times he uses it are in our passage. Verse 17 and verse 18. So what he's saying here is that this word here that he's using, teleo, it refers to God's love in us, toward us, coming to completion by it working through us in our caring and loving other believers. 
He's saying in verse 17a, if we who are indwelt by the love of God Himself, if we love, then His love is completed. Didn't get, it didn't get stopped like the drainage pipes in where we live for the last 20 years. Get the Roto-Rooter guy and again, it just keeps getting clogged up until we finally get replaced. Clogged up. He says, no, it comes to its completion and dumps out into the public sewer. That was a bad analogy, wasn't it? <laughs> you got, you, that's what happens when you just go freelance and it's not in your notes. That's what he's talking about. Love is coming to its completion. Okay, that's the first clause. Now, look at the second clause. He says there's a result of that happening. The result of God's love in us coming to its fulfillment and completion on a daily basis in our lives, coming to completion through us by loving others, there's a result. And the result is this. There is a confidence in you when it relates to that future judgment day. Start the last part of verse 16 and feel it. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. By this is love coming to completion with us. Now the result. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So how do we maintain confidence concerning the future judgment day? It hasn't happened yet. The answer is by putting God's love into action by loving other people. It's perfected. It's brought to completion, to, to its goal, to its end, to its fulfillment. He doesn't mean sinless, flawless love for other people. It's not what he's saying. It's perfected. It's completed love. It's God's love in us that has united us with the Savior, Jesus. Oh, what a great love with which He loved us. And, and we have seen in previous weeks, it's because the very personification of God's love for God has invaded our heart and awakened us to faith in Jesus. And He says, don't let it get clogged up because as it's coming to its completion, it's evidencing itself. You're saying, I love Jesus. I love God. I am saved. It is evidence." by the flow of loving others in your life. Don't let it get stopped up. Or as it does, because it does, doesn't it? Keep the snake out. Roto-rooter it daily. Because that, according to this text, that is what produces true, genuine, or can I say a justified confidence for the judgment day. See, the flow of thought here in this text, it's the same as we saw back in chapter 3. You don't even think you have to turn a page if you have the same translation here. Back in chapter 3, verse 14, John said, We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know that we're Christians. We know we're born again. How? 
because I got baptized. I didn't say that. Because I was an evangelistic thing and they told me to come up and say a prayer, my life was falling apart and, wow, I want to go to heaven. And I got that date written down. I didn't say that. John says we know because we love the brothers. And then he goes on to say a few verses later. Now listen to it. Verse 18. Little children, let us... Okay, here's the command. The ongoingness of the Christian life. Let us not love in word or talk. He means merely. And then let it stop there. That's what he means in our passage. Don't just talk. Let it come to fruition. Let it flow through the pipe of your life so that love be perfected, completed. The flow is completed by actually loving others. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. He, he, by truth there, he most likely means genuinely. Not merely action. God help my heart love loving. Okay. Indeed and in truth. Now he's not done. Now watch this. By this, what he just said. Not just talk, but indeed in the truth. It is by this that we shall know that we are of the truth. Now listen to his next word. And we shall reassure our heart. That's no difference than what he's saying. We'll have confidence now concerning the day of judgment by loving. See, his point therefore is confidence that the day of judgment, and there's only one appointed huge day of judgment for all sheep and goats, confidence that that day will be good for you and not bad that confidence is rooted in this truth the cross of Jesus Christ is effective for me that's where the confidence comes from now I, I you remember how John said this back in chapter 1? Verse 7 of chapter 1 is how he said it. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Whew. Okay, so just the blood of Jesus in that verse somehow is connected with our walking in the light. It means living day by day, week after week, month after month. How you live your life is connected with the blood of Jesus that secures the cleansing of our sin. Now, let me just... If you hear John saying... And I'm going to say, then you're not, you, you got him wrong. If you hear John saying, okay, 
Jesus went to the cross. He shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins. And now, you've come to saving faith in Him. Okay? Alright. Okay, now you've got to do something else. Here's saving faith in Jesus. But you've got a plus sign, you mathematicians from first grade on. Plus faith. Now I've got to do something to add to faith. I've got to go out and work. I've got to add to that faith my loving actions, or in that text, my walking in the light. Now if I both of those come, I believe and plus I walk in the light, then I'm saved, or then He cleanses me from my sin. It's not what John is saying. He is saying that the blood of Jesus, that alone atones, wipes away, cleanses sin. Alone. Jesus went to the cross and that's what He did. But He didn't do it for everybody. What I mean is this. He did it for everybody in the sense of anyone who will come to Him and believe, you better believe He did it for you. Absolutely. But what I mean is that atoning sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago is not for everyone in the sense that everyone won't be cleansed by it. See, we're not universalist here because we read the Bible. Universalism is, well, eventually every human being, other beings too, but human beings, they're all eventually be saved. That's just not biblical. So there are those who are not atoned for, right, by the blood of Jesus. Who is it for? You can say it all kinds of biblical ways. It's for only those who believe. It's for only those who hear the words of the apostles and come. It's only those who respond to Jesus saying, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Or, same thing, what he says here in verse 7, chapter 1. It's only for those who walk in the light. Now, miss, don't miss it. Their sins are not cleansed because they walk in the light. Meaning, God looks. Whew, there's one. That one walked in the light. Now I'll cleanse his or her sins. That's not what He said. Don't lose me here. Okay, come on, come on. Don't lose me. That's not what He's saying. Your walking tomorrow is not the cause of your forgiveness or your salvation. The cause of Jesus' blood cleansing your sin is because you have been placed into union with Christ through saving faith. John's point is, that evidence is itself by your walking in the light. You see, during this life down here before death, before the resurrection, our confidence concerning that future day of judgment is based on the blood of Jesus. And, in a sense, a certain kind of walk. Not because that walk, a 
atones for your sins. It doesn't. But because that walk confirms the genuineness of your union with Jesus. It confirms the genuineness of your profession of faith in Jesus. It says, I see it. There's, oh, I know, I'm still so broken and sinful, but I have seen the goodness of the truth of the cross of Christ and your love for me, O oh, Creator, O oh, Father. And that faith evidences itself in a movement, in a direction of walking in the light. That's what John saying. And that walking the light throughout the rest of the book is clearly loving one another. And Paul says the same thing. You can fulfill the whole obedience to God's law by love your neighbors yourself. Okay, so, it's, so, now John doesn't stop there. There's a third clause in verse 17. He goes on to say, here is the reason that Active loving of one another by the Spirit now, because He dwells in you. That's the context. That active, fulfilling, perfecting love, loving one another, brings confidence for the day of judgment. Why is it? Because it shows that we are like Christ. Not perfect, but you do have His genetic pool living in you now. So look at verse 17 again. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now here it is. Why? Because as He is, so also are we in this world. So He's saying at judgment day, God will not condemn those who are like His Son who show that they do have the genetic pool of the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling within them. Living in perfected love. In other words, love being active in reaching its culmination in actual actions of loving other people. And in the context of John, particularly other people who are in union with the Spirit of Christ, not in exclusion to others, but this is his focus here. Okay. That that is the evidence. My son purchased you. And he will glorify you one day. He called you to him. He justified you. He sanctified you. This is sanctification. And in the future day of judgment and the resurrection, you will be glorified with him because you rest totally on his son and your faith in Him is evidenced by your love for others. It shows that we truly belong to Jesus' meaning. That blood He shed was for me. That's what He's saying. And we see the same principle back in chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. John wrote, And now, little children, Abide in Him so that when He appears, there's a second coming and there's a judgment, when He appears, we may have confidence 
and not shriek from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born again or born of Him. And then he goes on to verse 18 in this strange wording about love and fear and cast out fear. But if you got verse 17, verse 18 ought to become crystal clear to you because he is saying the same thing. He just says it from the opposite angle. There is no fear in love But perfect love, there's that word now that's used as an adjective, perfected love, fulfilled love, casts out fear. Why? Because, that's what the word for means, for or because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected. Perfect tense, it's not happening in their life right now. They're fearing because they're not being perfected in love. So verse 18, it is about how to get rid of fear. In the context, don't miss it. Fear concerning the day of judgment. In verse 17, he just says it this way. This is how you have confidence concerning the day of judgment. Verse 18, this is how you get rid of fear concerning the day of judgment, which is to have confidence. You see that? And the answer to both verses is the same. Living in perfected love. Living in God's love. Not being stilted, but flowing through us in our affections and actions towards one another in love. That's what he's saying. So look at the very end there of verse 18 for a moment. He says, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, again, it's the negative, puts the negative not as opposed to verse 17, you are being perfected in love and you have, therefore you have confidence. Here, same perfect tense. It's not flowing through you, that's why you're fearing. Okay, and fear what? The answer is fear punishment on judgment day. You see it? He says it right the line before. For fear has to do with punishment. So, it's the flip side of verse 17. Verse 17 says, When love is completing itself in our actions towards one another, we have confidence for the day of judgment. Verse 18 says, When we are not perfected in love or allowing God's love to come to completion and fulfillment through us, then we don't have confidence. Or or to say it another way, we fear to one degree or another. Do you see it yet? Give me an uh uh-huh. That's why he says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. But instead, this completed love cast out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And, and whoever fears 
is a person who is not being fulfilled or letting the fulfillment of love through them happen. That's what he says. The reason there is no fear in love, when love is working through us and is coming to fruition, the fruit of the Spirit of love and because of our union with Jesus is happening, why is there no fear in that love, John? Because there's no punishment when you obey God's command to love. That's what he's saying. Isn't he? If you go out right now and you break the law of the state of California to one degree or another, your fear barometer will go up because of if I get caught, what this might mean in the fear of punishment. See, it's kind of silly that if you're driving your car and, and you're going through a small town and it's posted 35 mile an hour speed limit, there's, oh my gosh, there's police officers up there. Fear just grips me. It doesn't. If you're driving 33 or 34, 35 miles an hour. But if you're going 45 or 50, you see the police, fear will shoot up you. That's what he's talking about. There's no fear for believers in Jesus who are not living against His commands to love one another. But instead, they're experiencing His love being perfected or completed through them. You hear it? So, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, or being perfected in our lives, right? Walking by the fruit of the Spirit of love, cast out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears, therefore, is showing that they're going 45 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour speed limit. Or has not been or is not being perfected. Okay? In Love. I mean, don't we all know that? Is if, if you're born again, and those of us, if we're born again believers, we come to know Him, we know this in our life experience, don't we? Your prayer life is going good. Your week's going good. You, you have priorities, and, and you're asking for the fruit of the Spirit, and, it's, I, and you were given an opportunity, your flesh, I don't want to spend my time or energy or money on that. And then, but you're driven to by the Spirit, and you do, and you just... You know the difference between, oh, what a gospel. What confidence then at that moment you're having in your faith toward Him. You know, you put that up against the other experience of every Christian. Your heart starts to harden and you start to walk in it for a day and two, three. And you're, you're bearing more works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. And... Hopefully. Because week after week after week after week after week we believers hear sermons. We read Bible. We put ourselves before other believers who can speak into our lives and be used by the Spirit to convict us and fear rises. Oh, Father, help me. I'm not trusting your promises. Look how hard my heart is getting. And we cry out, and he's faithful again and again not to give you a snake, but to fill you with 
His Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit grows again. Isn't that the Christian life? The fear, the confidence, the confidence, the fear. So, you know that throughout this letter, John has been clear over and over. There is, on the one hand, those who have a false confidence concerning the day of judgment. We can just call it a false assurance of salvation. And he has been challenging those persons. First with their doctrine, secondly with how they live. And he challenges them, just boiled down to the way he said it a few verses earlier. Those who are born of God, they listen to us. But throughout this letter, for the true church, he, he loves to call them, my beloved children. For them, he knows there are still many of those true children who may fear one degree to one degree or another the judgment. And let me just say, I think one reason is because it's, it's owing to their lack of understanding the Gospel. And so it's so important to listen to what the Bible is saying about the cross of Christ. For instance, it's a lack of understanding for, for many. Justification by faith alone. A lack of understanding Jesus, that man, who is the creator of the universe, the eternal God, who became a human being, His human righteousness being imputed to us. Okay, so that can get cleaned up. But hear it. Read the text. Meditate upon it. Discuss it. Hear it unfolded in teaching. Get the Gospel right. Confidence comes. But he also knows Many Christians wrestle with an assurance, have a fear to one degree or another concerning the day of judgment because of the way they're living. Because they are manifesting very little concern for the eternal good of others that are around them and God has put into their lives. But instead, they're devoted well, they got so much time, energy, and money. And so most all of the time, energy, and money is just devoted to how can I pursue more fun, comfort, security for me and my family. And that, John is saying, is out of step with the confession of faith in Jesus who laid down His life. And thus fear rises. And that's why to believers, to those who are born again, indwelt by the Spirit, it is God's grace that we feel that yucky lack of confidence in our confession when we're walking that way. Because it is that work of the Spirit that again and again yanks us back to, to use, to use John's phrase, there's no fear in loving other people. 
And the way that that whole thing that we saw now, here it is, so you get the flow now, because we're just about done. The way that that whole thing we just saw in verses 17 and 18, how, does that, how is that working itself out? It's in verses 19 and 20. We love, okay, this perfected love, this life of love, walking in the light and it's, it's fulfilling itself in us. How is that happening? Do not flip this around. We love because, okay, here's the cause, He first loved us. It's the evidence of His saving love. It's like Paul talked uh, 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 about, we have come in Galatians, we have come to know Him. Oh, he stops. Let me get my theology straight. Rather, to be known by Him. Isn't it the miracle of becoming a Christian? And sometimes it takes us 25 years down the road of after becoming a Christian to even finally believe the Bible about it. But I, I came to know Jesus. It's us. And then you realize, oh, because He knew me first. He said, come. And I wondered, why was it so impossible to not come back then? Because He acted. And actually, not only that, in order to do that, long before you were born, He sent His Son to the cross so that He could purchase all of that happening. The reason this life happens of the perfected, the flowing through His love is because He first loved us. And read on. If anyone says, therefore, I love God and hates His brother in Christ, He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So our acts of loving never cause God's love toward us. Our acts of loving are the result of God's love toward us. I think there's a way that you have a not, I'm, not, I'm not calling for it, but to have a piano playing right now. And, because I think application, the Spirit has been probably doing it, hopefully, in most of us so far. But, so, but I want to be faithful as a pastor and try to pull a couple out. This text, therefore, drives every believer in Jesus to take inventory constantly and daily of our lives and our priorities so that we daily will put ourselves in position to be filled with God's thoughts and God's values and God's truths in order to be filled with His Spirit. And so, let's just take 12 months, last 12 months, you look back and say, okay, let's do we need to reorganize? How's life going? How am I doing? Where are my priorities? Over the last year of your life, how has your prayer time been? I don't mean saying prayers. Yeah, I prayed. When I went to bed or when I woke up. I don't mean I mean, how is your communion with the Father, with your Savior, with a 
candid, open heart. Then when you put yourself in those positions too and you realize, my heart's kind of hard towards you, God, that you say it and say, God, open my heart. In those prayer times, how is your heart opened to what God says? That's the Bible. You open to constantly let Him correct and convict and encourage and revive joy and the joy of the Gospel and the joy of truth on a daily basis in your life. So how has that been going for a year? Because that's the foundation of all of this. Okay, over the last year, how, is, how has your percentage of money given to the Lord on this earth and His kingdom through the earth in order to love people for their eternal good, in order to feed His sheep. As, as, as you sit over the last year, Jesus constantly asks that question. You know, it makes that statement. Just look. Where your money is, that's where you will find your affections. Your, your heart will be there also. So over the last year, how, how has your desire been in wanting to talk about Jesus to unbelievers? Many of them out there will go to heaven. He yearned to be used as direct means, secondary means of God to do that in loving through the truth of the Gospel. Over the last year, again, we got, we're all limited. We're finite and everything for us is finite. But where has your desire been and how strong or how weak to be spent in practical help for other believers with your time and your energy and your money and your giftings. Over the last year, with the minimal of two, and the, I, mean, I don't say the minimum that we have, it's very minimal, we have just two formal meetings a week at Sovereign Grace. And, you know, over the years, many of us have been to churches where it was almost felt that it was legalistically demanded that you be there five times a week or something like that. And we all got to wrestle with what is legalism and what's not. You know, and as Paul says, I'm sorry, I keep going to Galatians 5. As Paul says, I think it's Galatians 5, after getting doctrine right, don't you dare put the cart before the horse. And then he says, you better understand what, he's been, what true freedom in grace, in justification, by faith alone means. And then he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, your sinful nature. But through love, Serve one another. That's what freedom 
from legalism is. So in the minimal of two formal meetings a week at this church, over the last year, is the community of Jesus a priority? Or is it... We all got lists. And list, you've got to have lists, right? I mean, if, if you don't have... A, if, if one of the things towards the top is not... If you're an employee, uh, just show up when they tell you to. You're not going to be supporting yourself. Okay? So it's, it's amazing how that becomes a priority, right? Or, or if you're an employer, we, we, you don't wake up, you're slugging, you don't make... You just, okay, so we have pri- priority. Where does the community of Jesus come in the priority? Is it way down where it's very easy for all kinds of things of this world to find their place before it? Or not? So I'm gentle enough, so I'll let the Spirit work in our varying ways. Over the last year, when one member suffers going through it, and you know, do you suffer in prayer? And if need be, in time with them. Now, so finally, here's two-part question. Do you have no fear of Judgment Day because you have an unbiblical understanding of salvation that deceptively lets you sleep at night going on living the way you live? Or do you have no fear of Judgment Day Because you have come to know and to believe the love that God has for you. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. And by this is love being perfected or completed through you so that you have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. And so John ends chapter 4 with verse 21. In this commandment, we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love His brother. Amen. So as we will be singing, you will find the cup, the blood of the Lord, and the bread, the body of Jesus being passed out. If you are a baptized professing believer, feel free to partake of communion together with us. And as we are doing this wonderful ordinance, this physical communal ordinance, aren't we crying out, God, yes, 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 as I ingest physically these elements. I'm saying with my soul, Jesus, the new covenant shed in Your blood which causes me to love better. Oh, Lord Jesus, work in us stronger and stronger and stronger cause our hearts to be melted even this day to the glory of Your name. Amen.